Hello, this is your host, Bill Raymond, and welcome to the Techgenics T-Suite podcast, where I talk to leaders in the tech industry. So welcome to the podcast. Today, I have Mark Casey, CEO of Appsella. Hi, Mark. How are you? Hey, Bill. I'm doing great. Thanks. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited about this topic. We're going to be talking about application, global application delivery. Uh, but before we get into that, just tell me a little bit about your company, Appsella, and yourself, of course. Sure. Well, so Epsela uh, is a, you know, a bit over a decade old. Uh, the, the name itself is a mashup of application plus acceleration. So that's where Epsela comes from. Uh, and that's our focus uh, is helping large global enterprises uh, manage the transition to cloud and maintain application performance as they operate in hybrid IT environments where some of the applications remain on-prem and increasingly applications and workloads are moving to the cloud. Maybe give us a little bit of a history behind what what challenges you were facing then and how we've come to today? Yeah, great. We actually cut our teeth in the capital markets uh, around delivery of very high performance securities trading applications in the high frequency trading market. Uh, and so that's where we learned an awful lot about proximity and latency and, and application performance. Uh, customers were big global banks, uh, proprietary trading firms. Uh, large exchanges and, and large global information services companies. Uh, that was you know, really from probably 2007 or so to 2014. You know, that was kind of exclusively our customer base was capital markets. Uh, we're a North American based company, uh, so a strong uh, base of customers in, in markets like New York and Chicago, uh, and then globally in places like London and Frankfurt and, and Singapore and Hong Kong and, and uh, Sydney. Uh, but we, you know, so having come from that background uh, and then sort of fast forwarding towards today, uh, we find the same kind of challenge ap approaching large enterprises as they move from premises-based IT to cloud-based IT. Uh, and so that same proximity and latency issue that we were solving for in the capital markets has set itself up really well for helping large enterprises manage this transition to cloud. What does that look like when a, when a customer says that they need to reduce latency and they need to uh, improve their network performance. What, what is it that Epsela does to, to make that happen? Fundamentally, we're helping them shift the network architecture, or, or really, and it's really broader than the network. We kind of talked about application delivery. We'll talk about some of those other things that are in the application services stack, because it's not just the network, it's switching and routing and security and load balancing and DNS and application performance monitoring. You know, so there's a whole host of things that are required uh, in, in terms of getting an application from a production environment to a user. But foundationally, it's the network. Uh, and at that foundation, we help enterprises rethink about the architecture they need to serve a hybrid environment where some, of, you know, some and today, principally a majority of the applications are still in the premises-based data centers, but increasingly moving out towards cloud. And, and so what typically happens is a large enterprise uh, tends to be anchored on those premises-based data centers. Uh, typical architecture is a couple of data centers per region, so two data centers in North America, two in EMEA, two in APAC. Uh, and as they move out to cloud, they've traditionally egressed their public internet traffic out of those centralized data centers. Uh, and so there's a lot of gravity around those premises-based data centers, but as they move out to cloud, the cloud isn't in those data centers, so the production environment starts to fragment and the architecture that they've built, which is typically large MPLS networks that bring users back to those centralized data centers, starts to break down because the applications aren't there anymore. So 
an, an enterprise that has uh, you know a data center on the East Coast uh, and a user you know you, we'll use our banking example right you know a, a bank that's you know headquartered in New York large base of users in Chicago uh, but the, but they've moved out to a software as a service application that happens to reside on the West Coast and so they're bringing their users back to their data center in New York to clear security that's where their security perimeter is so they force a private connection back to that data center in New York then that traffic goes out to the public internet and transits the public internet from New York to where the application resides in, you know, for example, Silicon Valley. Uh, and they're transiting the public internet from New York to Silicon Valley. And the public internet, as most people have come to recognize, is saturated with consumer video traffic. And so application performance, your mileage may vary. In order to improve that performance, what is it that organizations need to do? Because I can understand where you're coming from. You know, you're basically saying, Hey, I'm going to send you to New York, wherever you're from. And you could even be even further away from either New York or California. I'm sending you to New York first, and then I'm going to send you to my app in Silicon Valley. And, you know, there's, there's latency there. So how do you Im improve that? What are, what are some of the steps organizations take to, to improve that? You know, so what they need to start to fundamentally think about is how do I distribute my security environment effectively, right? And, and some organizations have gone all the way to, hey, I'm going to put firewalls everywhere uh, and I'm going to put it, you know, but firewall typically is only a part of their security stack, uh, but it tends to be the foundational part. So it's really the, the, the first piece is how do I think about distributing security so that I can let my users out to the internet closer to the application? And I talked earlier about proximity and latency, right? So the proximity piece is, my users need to be as proximate as possible to my applications. The further they weigh, the further away they are, the higher the latency. And latency is purely a function of the speed of light, right? The, the speed that data travels over fiber uh, across long distances. And so we help enterprises take that security environment, in the example I gave, a data center in New York, and virtualize that security environment so that they can move some of it into what we call cloud hubs. Uh, and cloud hubs, you know, tend to reside in these things, carrier neutral co-location data centers, uh, where you can take some of that security stack and effectively distribute it so that in, in the example we gave, where the cloud hub proximate to Chicago, I can let my users now out to the public internet in Chicago rather than have to go back to New York first. And so now I've improved the distance they have to travel to the application because they no longer have to go to New York and then to California. They can go from Chicago direct to California. In that instance, though, they're still traveling over the public internet. So the next thing we help them do is to deploy a series of interconnected cloud hubs. So let's talk about a cloud hub in Silicon Valley. And so now if that user gets on a cloud hub in Chicago and transits over a high performance cloud internet connection to uh, California, they're avoiding the public internet between Chicago and Silicon Valley, and now they're going to get really good application performance for those users in Chicago. Okay, so there, it's not just so. There's a few. There's a few elements to this. One is to bring the security closer to the application. That's one piece, and then another piece to this is to essentially keep the customer off of the the public cloud and keep it in a more private connection. Is that correct? Yeah, it's really the public internet, right? What we're trying to avoid is the consumer video saturated public internet, mm. right? 80% of consumer, 80% of public internet traffic is consumer video, Netflix, Facebook Live, you know, et cetera, et cetera. 
Uh, and so that that's what we're trying to avoid, at least for those sort of business and mission critical applications. When we when we talk about applications, there's really kind of three broad buckets that we talk about. And, and for large enterprises, most of the applications I just talked about earlier are still in the data center. And so that's the first bucket is those applications that still reside in a centralized enterprise controlled production environment, a la premises based data center. And the MPLS networks that have been deployed to bring users back to that environment still work great for that, right? Uh, at the other end of the spectrum is traffic that what we call sort of general internet research traffic, right? And we'll stay away from sort of personal traffic, you know, certainly users in business environments are checking Facebook and, and other things, but, but let's stick to kind of the, the business perfect purpose traffic. So I'm, I'm doing online video training. I'm watching videos on, on YouTube or on LinkedIn or you know, some kind of, you know, but it tends to be very one-way traffic and the content distribution networks that have been deployed globally to support the consumer internet work really well for that. And so I want to be able to get that internet traffic I don't want to backhaul that internet traffic on my expensive MPLS links. I want to figure out how to get that traffic just onto the public internet as local to that user as I can. And then there's this middle bucket of traffic, which is the, the kind of the example that we were talking about. And we, we can maybe make this real in a, in a minute here. Um, but that traffic that's headed for a cloud application, it's two-way traffic. It's got real-time components to it. You know, the data in the application may reside co-located. They may be distributed. Uh, but I need some kind of performance access between my user and the application, which is traditionally my MPLS network when the production environment was in the, in the enterprise data center. But when the production environment is now an infrastructure as a service platform or a software as a service platform, I want to be able to have a performant connection as close to that application as possible. And that's that's really the, the middle, what we call that middle bucket is what we're trying to solve for. And a great, um, you know, one of the big catalysts pushing enterprises to cloud right now is, is migration to Office 365. And, and, and that's kind of a great example. So if you want, we can chat for a minute about how that application specifically applies in those three scenarios. Yeah, let's do that. If you could just lay that out, that would be a good, I think a lot of people are familiar with that platform. They'd understand what it is you're referring to? Yeah, so if we go back to the original sort of premise, most enterprises running a pair of data centers per region, certainly larger enterprises running more, but when, when we talk about internet egress, it tends to be you know at a couple of centralized points. And so if we talk about that hypothetical enterprise, that means they're, inter they're egressing internet traffic at six points globally, right? At, at two data centers in North America, two in EMEA, and two in APAC. Uh, Microsoft has done an awesome job of building a global building out a global peering network. Microsoft peers in 120 locations globally. And they want you, as you move to Office 365, to get your users to peer as local to their network as possible. So if we go back to this example where I'm bringing all of my traffic back to centralized security environments and pushing it out to the public internet, and we'll stick with North America, at two locations in North America, I am missing out. I'm peering with Microsoft at two locations, right? out of maybe the 50 or 60 they might have in North America alone. And so I'm forcing my users back to a centralized environment to peer with Microsoft centrally when Microsoft wants us to peer locally. They want those users in, in California to peer in California. They want the users in Chicago to peer in Chicago. They want the users in Dallas to peer in Dallas. And they want the users in New York to peer in New York. And, and again, that you know, gets into how do I distribute my security environment? And then how do I build sort of the middle mile networks 
that deliver my users directly to those Microsoft pairing points. Right. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about that because I'm, you know, so I'm sitting here in, in California right now and I have an Office 365 account, of course. And if I were to go and log in to that right now, I probably don't know where my data is going. I don't know if it's going somewhere here in California or going somewhere in Chicago. Doesn't Microsoft control that? Or are you saying that organizations need to put their focus on, on defining how that peering occurs? Well, you are probably accessing the internet over some kind of broadband connection. Right. That's a fair statement. Yep. Uh, and so you, your broadband provider is going to peer your traffic locally to the public internet somewhere in, in the Bay Area, somewhere near where you are. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to, you as an individual user, you're going to get really good performance to Office 65, right? But if you were part of a large enterprise and that enterprise data center was in Chicago or New York, you would typically VPN yourself back to the data center, right? Mm -hmm. If you were on the, if you were on the loose, like if you were in a Starbucks or an airport, if you were in your office building, you, you wouldn't be connecting to the public internet. You'd be connecting to an MPLS network that would take you back to that data center where you could clear security. And, and that's all about the enterprise controlling the security perimeter, right? Protecting you as a user. And that's the typical enterprise security architecture for enterprises that have been around for more than a decade, right? Certainly there are modern enterprises that we call cloud native, and they approach the world a bit, a bit differently, right? We're really talking about enterprises that have come from this legacy premises-based data center environment uh, and are trying to evolve towards cloud. And, and again, typically those enterprises are still 80% plus on-prem and maybe 20% in the cloud. Some have moved faster and some have moved slower. So when I go into my organization's account and I VPN into my Chicago, even though I'm here in California and right. I'm VPNing into Chicago, now I'm going to be getting the, if you will, the I'm, I'm going to be peering with Microsoft services and again, this is just one example, but I'm going to be right. hearing with Microsoft Office services in Chicago. Correct. So how, do, how do you how do you change that? How do you how do you think about that so that I mean, are you suggesting that an organization would modernize and find a way to, for me to get that local California um, peering to occur somehow? Yeah. So again, in, in this example, you a cloud hub placed somewhere in the Bay Area would be optimal for, for a large user base that was in the Bay Area for, for a company that wasn't headquartered. And let, let's take a step back. If your company was headquartered in the Bay Area and your data center was in the Bay Area, you would get really good performance because you'd be hopping. Let's, let's suppose you're in San Francisco and you know, your data center was in San Jose. Uh, so you're going to you know, transit a private network down to San Jose, pop out to the public internet and peer with Microsoft right there very little latency, right? That's going to be good performance for you. So really we're talking examples where the user base might be in California, but the data center is somewhere else, right? Uh, and so in that example, that enterprise would want to take a portion of their security environment and distribute it uh, and distribute that, you know, as proximate to where the users are, somewhere between the users and the applications so that they can optimize the latency. And when we, when we go through this process, we, we, we kind of have a, we kind of uh, prescribe a three-step process. First, map your users and your applications, like understand where your users are and understand where your applications are. When they're in your data center, you know where they are, right? So that's easy. When you're porting workloads out to infrastructure as a service, that's still pretty easy because I'm moving to 
you know, some AWS or Azure or GCP region. And so I, I kind of know where those applications are. When you get into software as a service, it's a little bit harder. You know, sometimes you can use some help from third parties to figure that out. But once you figure those things out, now you can figure out where you might want to place a series of cloud hubs. And if I'm operating two data centers in North America, maybe I want to add two cloud hubs or four cloud hubs or six cloud hubs. It really depends on the density of users I have and where my applications are. Uh, and then once you've done that, you can, and we haven't talked about this, but you know, a very powerful tool for helping to deal with these different buckets of traffic and the specific applications is the evolution from traditional edge routing uh, to software-defined WAN edge routing. And one of the powerful tools that software-defined WAN enables is application-aware routing. And so I can treat Microsoft traffic specific to that application. And I can even treat Microsoft Exchange traffic differently than I can might treat Microsoft SharePoint traffic. And I might want to route that traffic differently depending on where my Exchange instance resides in the Microsoft data center world versus my SharePoint, which is probably going to be two different places. Right. So it's it really comes down to these hubs. So what what is the hub? Is this physical equipment or is this a software component that that you would put in a specific location? Well, it can certainly be physical, right? There's, you know, if we talk about an, a recipe for doing this, you know, independent of a company like Upsella, uh, you can go out and you can get, you know, carrier neutral co-location from, you know, several dozen different companies. You know, one of the larger and better known companies is Equinix. Uh, and they've got some products that are very specific. They have a product called Network Performance Hub. Uh, and that's what it's designed for. Is and, and that would be a physical environment where you would go and, and you rack and stack some of your, your switching and routing and security environment in a rack in a, in a market and then connect that up uh, you know, to your sort of core network. Uh, companies like ours also offer that as a virtual service. Our product is called AppHub uh, and it makes it just a, you know, a little bit easier to kind of put these things anywhere. I see, okay. And so these are gonna, these are gonna help us kind of improve how we work. So what kind of performance our improvements are, are we going to see? It really depends on what the performance impact is. If we go with that sort of egregious example that we started with, your, your, your users in Chicago, data center in New York, and application in Silicon Valley, you're probably gonna see a 10X plus improvement in performance on that application. Uh, and you're not gonna feel, like if we talk about sort of Microsoft Exchange, if we talk about email, you know, your general email traffic, you're not going to feel that. It's when you go to download a 100 megabit attachment is when you would feel it, right? Or you would feel it with SharePoint, or you would feel it with some of the collaboration uh, applications inside Office 365. And if you're, certainly, if you're going to real-time unified communications uh, on Office 365, you would feel it, right? That's where you would really start to feel those performance issues. And, and in a, in a real-time communications, whether that's audio or video communications, you're going to feel it in, you know, poor quality. Well, I can definitely say that, you know, I understand where you're coming from. I mean, I certainly have some clients that are, that, that have this more, if you will, data center, data center focused approach to delivering Office 365 and, you know, just waiting for the SharePoint site for a team site to load can sometimes feel a little mind numbing. Yes. That's it. That's it right there. And that's where, again, in that example, you're going to see a, you're going to see a significant improvement, but, it, but only if you understand where your SharePoint instances are, right? You know, it's only recently that, that Microsoft's gone to geodiversity on SharePoint. It used to be you had a SharePoint instance and it was here, right? Wherever here was, and everybody had to go there. 
And so you needed to optimize for that. Now you've got some geodiversity to SharePoint, but you still need to understand that in, in the Microsoft land. Uh, and again, Microsoft say, well, you don't really need to. And that's true. If you're really going to optimize your peering across those 120 peering points, then you're not like Microsoft will figure that out for you. Mm -hmm. But if you're not going to peer with Microsoft optimally, then you then you have to be a little bit more honed in on where your application is in the Microsoft land so that you don't do things that push your traffic further away. That makes sense. And I guess how does how do companies monitor this? I've used an app hub and I've kind of configured my network so people have they're closer to the data that they need. But how do we kind of confirm that that's the case and continue to optimize our network? Yeah, so we need some kind of tooling, right? Traditionally, that tooling is things like network performance monitoring and management tools, uh, which have kind of that sophistication. Uh, but again, we'll I'll, I'll go to the to the to the newer tools, software-defined WAN. You know, ha the, those tools are built into most, at least most leading software-defined WAN platforms. Uh, and so, I'm going to get consistent reporting on my applications relative to things like latency, jitter, and packet loss. Uh, associated with those applications. Uh, and so that's that's kind of the basic way to do it. There are certainly more sophisticated ways as you get into things like synthetic monitoring tools. Uh, and what we do you know, on our platforms is we use a combination. We use under you know, synthetic monitoring tools to penetrate into the cloud applications, right? So to check sort of response times when, when you know from a from a user site to a cloud site, what's the, what's that response time? And that that's a combination of network and the production environment itself. Uh, when you combine that with your know, overlay management tools like you might have from the software-defined WAN, and then you know most large enterprises are gonna have some kind of traditional network performance monitoring and management tools deployed. The ability to sort of take those data sets and combine them gives you a really sophisticated view of what's going on. Uh, and that's really the kind of the future, right? And that's where the future is going. And and once we once we get to that sort of consolidated view of the data, now we can start to drive more automation into our network. So we really haven't talked a lot about that, but as, as applications move out to the cloud, network has tended to be an afterthought and it, it tends, and that tends to slow enterprises down. They're looking for this agility from cloud and suddenly the network's not there. Either the bandwidth's not there or the, the network topology isn't there. Uh, and, and as we get to the, these sort of virtualized software-defined networking components, not only can we extract data out from central orchestrators, which you've never had the ability to do in networking before, uh, but now we can send commands back in through these same RESTful APIs. And so we can take data from you know, four or five different, you know, what we call application services components, think switch, router, firewall, uh, and then the MPMD tools, and we can take that data into a centralized analytics platform and we can determine things from it. And based on what we determine, we can write code algorithms that can make decisions and send northbound commands back to a centralized API that controls those southbound APIs. And that's where we start to really get into network automation. One of the first instantiations of that is how do you accelerate break fix? When there's an application performance problem, how do I accelerate root cause identification? Because that's typically the, the challenge is you know, root cause identification is typically 80% of the resolution time and actually fixing the problem is 20%. So mm -hmm. you know, these tools are letting us attack and, and sort of move up the curve of, of network automation. You know, the production environments have been highly automated. You, know, you look at the sort of maturity of infrastructure as a service offerings and the ability to automate the, the 
buildup and teardown of what was traditionally you know, very physical data centers. Uh, we can do that in a you know, highly automated fashion today, but the network doesn't append. It'll append inside the data center or inside the infrastructure as a service platform, but not the delivery side. And that's kind of, you got the production environment and then to get an application to a user is the delivery environment. And those delivery environments are not highly automated. That was very good, thank you. I, I, and, and you know, here's what's going through my head. We've got this whole concept of, of DevOps and DevSecOps and you know, all these people working together to, to build applications. So we talked about Office 365. That's a, that's a very public uh, facing application service that, that Microsoft provides. How do we think about this from a software development perspective, whether you're building an application that's sort of an internal app or something that you're building to share with the rest of the customers outside uh, your organization, you know, maybe you're an app developer that wants an app on right. your iPhone. How much of this does an organization have to worry about if they're kind of doing this cloud first kind of, we're building an app on AWS or Azure. Do they need to still be thinking about this challenge or does, do those infrastructures kind of help handle that automatically? It really depends on the nature of the application, right? So if you use the example of, hey, I'm, I'm building an, you know, an app that's destined for you know, a mobile environment, right? Uh, you know, an iPhone app. You know, latency and proximity aren't as much of a big deal, right? Because it's, it's not a real, t you know, you're, you're doing development, you're uploading code, it's very batchy. Uh, and then it runs, and then and then you're using that cloud environment to push that out to the public internet, which is great, right? You know, most of these big infrastructure as a service cloud platforms have have built out you know content distribution networks within their architectures, and so that's an awesome use of public cloud. And and quite honestly, the networking side of that is the public internet because you're building a consumer app. So to the extent that you're building consumer apps that are destined for the public internet, you know what we're talking about in terms of latency and proximity not nearly as important. Right. Where it becomes important is where I'm trying to run real-time applications in the cloud, right? So, lot, I mean, there are tons of use cases, but you know, one that we're regularly dealing with today is as enterprises move from premises-based contact centers and contact center switches, right, which might have traditionally resided in the data center, to cloud-based contact center solutions from companies like Nice and Contact or Twilio's new Flex product, uh, you know, that, so let, let's, let's go with Twilio Flex for a minute, right? Twilio Flex is a cloud-based contact center. So I can move away from my traditional Avaya or Genesis, you know, premises-based switching environment uh, to, to a robust, you know, feature-rich, you know, cloud-based contact center. But if my, if my physical contact center, like where the agents are, isn't proximate to where the production environment is, I run into this performance problem again, right? So um, Twilio, in North America runs that Flex product out of AWS East and AWS West. Uh, and it's a great product and you know, they've got a lot of momentum behind it. But if you're, if you're an enterprise running a call center in Atlanta or Dallas, uh, you, you're left with the public internet to run a real-time voice application. And so that's, it's that kind of application that you need to be thinking about. Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rebuild my contact center around Twilio Flex and that's gonna run in AWS East and AWS West but I got to think about this latency thing in terms of how my agents are going to access that platform uh, from their physical locations, you know, in, in places like Atlanta or Dallas. The other place that really matters is if I have a, a, like a high, high data density in and out of the cloud, right? So if 
I'm moving, uh, like what, a typical use case there is I'm refactoring or, or re-architecting a legacy pr proprietary application. Maybe I'm moving it off of mainframe or maybe I'm just moving it off of a, you know, a server environment in my data center. And, I'm, and we, that's what we talk about kind of moving workloads to cloud, right? I'm, I'm moving hmm. workloads that traditionally ran on a mainframe or on servers in my data center. I'm rewriting the application so that it will run in a public, public cloud environment but the data is distributed or the data is going to reside in my data center or there's data sovereignty issues and I need the data residing in lots of different places. Again, the, the, the time that it takes for an application to access the data is latency, right? And to the extent that the data and the application are co-located in the production environment, that latency is nil, right? To the extent that the application production environment is Ashburn, Virginia, and the data is in London, you know, that's, that's material. And I better figure out how to optimize that you know what used to be an enterprise service bus sitting in an enter, you know in an, in an enterprise data center now is kind of you can think of it as a cloud service bus how do i you know what's the middleware that connects the application to the data and and what's the networking that does that and and again that requires a lot more thought than just you know a, a consumer facing uh, you know public internet dev operation which where, where proximity and latency is is not really a big issue so how do companies think through that process how do they how do they think through how they're going to deliver their app effectively for the best performance what are some maybe tips that you could provide for an organization that heard everything you're saying but want to kind of wrap their arms around some some of the basics that they need to do yeah well, one of the first steps is to make sure that the network isn't an afterthought Right, because you have your typical typical enterprise organization. You know, underneath the CIO is an application side and an infrastructure side, right? And those are tend to be very different silos. And and most of this cloud migration stuff's happening on the application side. So you know, and it's not easy to move applications to cloud. But like the application folks are focused on the application, not necessarily focused on the delivery of that application. And so it starts with having, you know an integrated cloud team that says, hey, here are the applications that we're moving to cloud, either as software as a service or as infrastructure as a service. And let's make sure that we're talking to you. Know, depends on the enterprise. Some enterprises are putting cloud architecture inside the enterprise architecture organization. Some are building as a separate organization, right? But there's, there's a place where cloud architecture sits. And then there's still a place where network architecture sits. And so those three teams need to be talking together. The, the, the application team, the cloud architecture team, and the network architecture team need to be talking to each other relative to each application that's moving to cloud to make sure that the network is going to be sufficient right, in terms of bandwidth and proximity and architecture to support that application. In terms of doing that, you know, it used to be you, you were always in control. You, you had your, your, your data center with your firewalls and, you know, all, yeah. of, all of that was kind of yours. And now when you're going to the cloud, what are some of the things people need to consider when they're, when they're developing these sort of cloud-based applications within an enterprise? No, there's a lot they need to consider, right? The game has completely changed and it, it's not, it, it's more complex, right? It wasn't, it certainly wasn't simple uh, when it was in your data center. There was still a lot of complexity to it, but it was all right there. Mm -hmm. Like the, you like talking about the enterprise service bus connected everything, right? It was, it was all right there. And then you had these MPLS networks that took care of the delivery of the application out to the users. Uh, and so that's what's changing. And, Again, I, I think it's a it's a cataloging of the kind of application you're moving to the cloud. You know, if you're moving an analytics application to the cloud, 
where data is going to go in the, go in the cloud and it's going to reside in the cloud and, and out there's going to be some reporting that comes out. Like that's very easy. That doesn't require a lot of networking, right? It's really, you know, understanding those applications that typically would have been heavy users of the enterprise service bus, you know, with lots of data transiting back and forth to the application because that enterprise service bus is now stretched out. Right, and it's fragmented. It needs to go a lot more places. You know, what was the enterprise service bus is now this concept of a cloud service bus, and I that's where I need to pay particular attention. So, understanding which applications are going to be you know heavily real time or heavily data dependent, and then under and then understanding the architecture that I'm going to use to make sure that works. Right, it's it's not when you're moving to infrastructure as a service, you have tools like. AWS Direct Connect and Azure Express Route that can make the performance in and out of the cloud easier. Uh, how do you access? Where do you access those? Where are the data? Where's the users? You know, where's the data rest? Where is it in flight? You know, understanding those things is important, again, across those three teams, the application team, the cloud architecture team, and the network architecture team to make sure that each application is going to have the network it needs. The traditional MPLS network is probably not going to serve all of those needs really well. Obviously, this this move just continues to happen. We're certainly not seeing enterprise data centers getting built up. They're moving to the no, right? Yeah, it's, the trend is not going to reverse itself. Correct. Yeah, and I think we're you know we're, and I think one of the reasons why this tends to you know not necessarily be a forethought, but still a little bit of an afterthought, is we're still in the very early innings of this migration. Right? It's 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 all the rage. It's all the news. But the reality is, most enterprises, you know, their gravity is still around that premises space data center. Uh, mm -hmm. They're really just starting this move to cloud, and and again, if I had to put a number, I'd say you know, on average, you know, 15 to 20 percent uh, movement to cloud at this point, right? We're we're still in the you know first or second, maybe the third inning uh, of, of this migration. Uh, but like I said, th there's going to be a day, whether that day is five years, 10 years, 15 years from now, where it's flipped, and and 80 percent of the infrastructure is going to be cloud, and 20 percent is going to be on-prem. So as an organization, let's talk about the enterprise first, and we, we're going to wrap up soon here. But as an enterprise that is just starting that, that migration, what are some of the things that they need to consider that are really important before they just start, if you will, rolling out to an Office 365 or some service-based application? Well, when it comes to Office 365, Microsoft has done a great job of making sort of tools and uh, information available, right? You know, they've got a lot of tools around networking best practices for, for Office 365. And so they've kind of laid out a roadmap for you to say, hey, here's, if I'm moving to Office 365, here's the things I need to think about, right? Uh, not everyone, not every app is like that. Uh, and certainly to the extent that you're moving your own infrastructure as a service, you're moving, you know, you're you're rebuilding your proprietary apps to run in public cloud. You know that documentation's on you, and so you, you've got a lot more thinking to do uh, around that. But as I said, I think you know a, a simple playbook is simply step one: understand where your users are and where your applications are going to be. Right? They they were in the data center. I'm moving them out. Am, am I am I shutting down? Like you know, uh, spoke with an insurer the other day and. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a bit, you know, they had a, most of their quoting comes out of their proprietary application, but there are some, you know, SaaS based quoting platforms and, and they're, you know, using those platforms for some of their business today. They've got a roadmap to move pretty much to a hundred percent SaaS based in the future. So today they're quoting apps in their data center. Tomorrow it's going to be in the cloud. 
they need to understand where their users are relative to where those cloud application data centers are. And understanding that is gonna make sure that their users, their agents, their revenue generating application performs well for those users going forward. Today, it's kind of easy again, because it's in the data center. They know where it is, they bring the users back. Tomorrow, it's not going to be in the data center, it's gonna be in someone else's data center. And that's one of the things that we haven't talked about, but you know, the cloud is always physical somewhere. It may be a cloud to us as a user, but it's physical somewhere. And that's, and that's the key is understanding where my physical users are and where my cloud apps physically are, because that determines this proximity latency challenge. And, and then I can start to solve for that. Once I understand that now, I can look at the tools available, the providers that are in the market to help me solve for that problem. There are companies out there uh, that that are pretty much cloud native, meaning they, yes. they kind of, and they probably started not too long ago <laughs> um, and they and they've they that's kind of how they live and breathe there's probably very few servers hanging out anywhere that they actually physically own and maintain and you know that's kind of the direction that's going so i'm guessing you've probably seen some patterns around how those organizations work and i'm wondering can you talk a little bit about that and looking into the future how how a, a, a sort of a cloud native organization is going to have to look at their network infrastructure? Yeah, it's a, you know, to some degree, it's a bit easier, right? Uh, because they haven't built these big centralized security environments. They've, they've, they've started out with you know, this concept of a zero trust environment, right? So every user is an island and I need to protect the user at the user level, not at the enterprise level. Uh, and so it allows that user to access the internet locally, like literally locally. And so for big SaaS platforms like Microsoft that have built out a great peering infrastructure, they get great performance. Just like you talked about earlier on the call, hey, I have, you know, I use Office 365 and I get great performance. And, and that's why, because you effectively are a cloud native, right? When it comes to applications that reside somewhere, like I can still be a cloud native company, but have users in California and an application in New York or an application in Europe, and you'll be relying on the public internet for that connectivity. And that's again, where you need to think about, even as a cloud native company, you to think about, hey, how am I gonna get performant access or performant applications you know, across the public internet? And, and that's where, again, we would, we would espouse you know, some kind of cloud optimized middle mile network to enable that, uh, even as a cloud native company. Uh, and so you may be sort of internet at the edge, you know, going on to a performant middle mile network optimized for cloud application access uh, to get you closer to your cloud applications and keep your sort of transit traffic off of the you know, consumer video internet. Uh, this is this has just been a great conversation, and I, I really appreciate your your thoughtfulness here. And and I think that uh, it's it's interesting to kind of see as we as we move away from you know, this, this ownership of our data. And we even move away from everyone being located in a single office. I, there's right. a bunch of people listening to this going, what? Single office? Uh, what? <laughs> yeah. Data center? But, the, but there's probably a lot more people going, yeah, yeah, we're dealing with this right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and as, as we continue this move, I, I really appreciate the, the thoughts that you've provided here. Uh, Mark, I'm, I'm sure you could share a lot more with our listeners. What are some ways that they can reach you? Um, well, of course, email. Uh, so mark.casey uh, at apcela.com, A-P-C-E-L-A.com. Uh, and you can certainly follow the company uh, at Epsela, hashtag go faster. 
Oh, very cool. And I'll go ahead and put that in the show notes as well. So anyone that wants to reach out to Mark can, can do so. Uh, thank you very much for your time today, Mark. I really appreciate it. Bill, it was awesome. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's been a great discussion and I really enjoyed it. I would like to thank Jennifer Henshu from 180 Marketing for introducing me to Mark. Hey listeners, one last thing. This podcast was published on Tuesday, November 19, 2019. The podcast will be back in January, so see you in 2020. Thank you very much for listening to this TechGenX T-Suite podcast. Please go to Apple iTunes and subscribe and rate us. It really does help. To stay up to date on the latest technology news, go to techgenix.com. That's T-E-C-H-G-E-N-I-X. You can also follow them on Twitter using the same name. You can follow me on Twitter using at Bill Raymond and the letter E.